I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Then if you would look in the uh, back of your hymnal, 721, the scripture they're taking from several passages, uh, the selections entitled God and Country, and I'll read the portions in the uh, regular print, and if you'll join your voices together, please, on those portions that are in the bold print. 721, God and Country. Let's read the scripture together. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Amen. Would you bow in prayer with me this morning? Great are you, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. We can never by our searching uncover your greatness as our God. We cannot fully understand you, the Almighty One. Who can adequately proclaim your wondrous works? Who can declare all the praise you deserve? Who is a God like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Who on the earth can compare to you, O Lord? Who among the creatures in heaven is equal to you? O Lord God Almighty, who is a mighty God like you? Who can be compared to you in faithfulness that encompasses all you do? Among the so-called gods, there is none like you. No one can do any works like your works, for you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. There is no creature that has an arm like yours or can thunder with a voice like yours. You are God and not a man. You do not have eyes of flesh and you do not see things as man sees. Your days are not as the days of man and your years are not as man years. As heaven is high above the earth, so are your thoughts above our thoughts and your ways above our our ways. All nations before you are like a drop in a bucket or as small as dust on a scale. You weigh continents as though they were the tiniest of particles. To you, their massive substance is as nothing. They are judged by you to be less than nothing and altogether vanity. God, you are God alone. We praise and honor and worship you today. And we magnify your name in this place. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And for his sake, amen and amen. You'll keep your hymnal, please. Turn back to 634 as we sing together. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty. 
And as we sing this, we think about those who paid the ultimate price during this Memorial Day weekend, those who died, that we might have the freedom that we enjoy today. We sing it with thanksgiving and gratefulness to the Lord Almighty. 634, My Country Tis of Thee.
Amen. Thank you so much, choir. Open your Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 19. Yes, we're getting close, close, close to the end. Revelation, chapter 19. And we'll be reading there in just a few moments. Revelation, chapter 19, the last book of the Bible, giving near the last end and uh, chapter of the Bible uh, as we look together at the scripture today. Revelation chapter 19, as I was studying this past week, I ran across a story from the life of Ruth Bell Graham, Billy Graham's wife, uh, who once told about an experience that uh, deepened her ability to worship the Lord. Here's what she wrote. I have been getting up early, fixing myself a cup of coffee, and then sitting in the rocker on the front porch while I prayed for each of our children and for each of theirs. She wrote, one morning I woke earlier than usual. It was five o'clock with dawn just breaking over the mountains. I collected my cup of coffee and settled into the old rocker. And suddenly I realized a symphony of birdsong was literally surrounding me. The air was liquid with music as if the whole creation were praising God at the beginning of a new day. I chuckled to hear the old turkey gobbler that had recently joined our family gobbling away down in the woods at the top of his voice as if he were a song sparrow. And she wrote, I learned a lesson. I had been beginning my days with petitions and I should have been beginning them with worship. Think about that. I had begun my days with Petitions, asking for things when I should have been beginning my days with praise and worship. I can't help but to think about what the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, once said. I think it's wonderful counsel. He said, wash your face every morning in a bath of praise. Wash your face every morning in a bath of praise. Imagine if we started every day like that. If we washed our face in a bath of praise. Well, we come to Revelation chapter 19 and we're getting close to the end. By the way, I'm excited to be at chapter 19 as we've waded through judgment upon judgment and bowls and trumpets and all these things and scarlet beast and this great harlot and all these things to get to chapter 19. But I find it very interesting how the chapter itself begins. I mean, we're about to read about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're about to read about the battle of Armageddon and the marriage and marriage supper of the Lamb. But before all of that is mentioned, I find it very interesting To find here praise. In fact, in just the first uh, six verses of this chapter, we find four hallelujahs or four praise the Lord's. And I want you to look with me how it begins. Let's look at those first six verses just to kind of get us started today. Follow along there uh, in your Bible. Revelation chapter 19. I'll begin reading at verse one. The Bible says, after these things, I heard a loud voice. Of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. 
Again they said, Alleluia! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen! Alleluia! Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants and those who fear Him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Beloved, do you notice the theme of those opening verses? Praise and glory and honor to our God. And did you notice the command in verse 5? The command in verse 5 says this, A voice came from the throne saying, Notice it, Praise our God, all you His servants, and those who fear Him, both small and great. You know, we've been studying all this time prophecy and the book of Revelation, and I hope you understand that we don't just study prophecy to study prophecy. And we don't study prophecy in order to feel superior to those who do not study prophecy. We don't ultimately study prophecy to know about the future. That's a fringe benefit. It's a wonderful benefit. Beloved, we study prophecy for the Lord Jesus Christ and his sake and his glory. In fact, prophecy should lead to praise. Prophecy should lead to praise for the believer to study prophecy and to see what God's doing and what God's going to do should lead us to praise because prophecy is ultimately about a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Drop down to verse 10. That's what the Bible says. Verse 10. If you look at it, there says worship God later on the verse, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I like the way the New Living Translation translates that. Listen to it. This is how it translates that portion of Revelation 19.10. Worship only God. Listen. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. And so we study prophecy not so we can just know things or know about the future. That's a wonderful benefit. But prophecy is all about a person. The Lord Jesus Christ is all about praising him and our God, because this is what the revelation of Jesus Christ. We always bring the focus back to Jesus as we're studying the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as I was studying this past week, I was struck by something that J.H. Melton wrote. I don't know who J.H. Melton is. Never heard his name before. But here's what he said. He said that the element of praise The element of praise is so often missing in the life and service of the average Christian and the average church. The element of praise is missing. He said the world would have a different image of Christianity if there were more rejoicing and praise on the part of the people of God. Now, let's think about our lives for a moment. Is that true about us? Is the element of praise missing in our lives? Is the element of praise missing in our church? Imagine for a moment if we came with standard equipment, if we came as human beings, as believers, if we came with a praise gauge. Think about that for a moment. We had a praise gauge for our life. Now think about your life for a moment. As you look at the praise gauge there, where are you on that? Are you full of praise? Are you at a half a tank? Are you at a quarter tank? Are you close to empty? Or maybe even that get fuel light is beeping and flashing on your dashboard. And you're wondering, well, how much further can I go? 
Where are you on that? What about our church? I mean, when people talk about Red Hill Baptist Church, when they mention Red Hill Baptist Church, do they ever mention praise? Do they ever mention that that's a church that worships the Lord, that loves the Lord, that praises the Lord? Beloved, I'll be honest, as I studied Revelation chapter 19 this past week, as I considered my own life, as I thought about my own praise gauge, if you will, I realized that I needed to praise the Lord more. I need to praise Him more. Maybe if you're honest, you'd say the same thing. That in your own personal life, you say, you know what, I need to praise the Lord more. And then I believe as a church, we need to praise the Lord more. We need to exalt Him and lift Him up. And the good news is there is plenty, there is plenty to praise him about. In fact, there's plenty right here in this chapter. We're going to look at the second coming of Christ and the battle of Armageddon and all those things. But I find it all set in a midst of praise. And so I want to give you some things that you can praise the Lord about uh, for here from this chapter. And uh, let's walk through these together and look at them together. But let's consider, first of all, as Christians... As believers, as a church, as individual believers, we can praise the Lord. We can praise him as our glorious, all powerful savior and Lord. We can praise him as our glorious, all powerful savior and Lord. Now, listen, I didn't just make up that phrase just because it sounded good or it looked good or I just picked some words at random. I want you to see those things in this passage. I want you to see our glorious, all powerful savior and Lord right here in this passage. Now, you notice in the very beginning that as the chapter opens, that heaven is rejoicing and heaven is praising the Lord. Revelation 19, 1. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. I believe that I'm going to be in that multitude I just read about. Now, we're talking about the second coming. But you remember, before the second coming, seven years prior... Maybe a little bit more, depending on preparation time. But seven years prior, there is the rapture of the church. And that's what we're looking for today. The king is coming. The king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding. We just sang about it. We're looking for the rapture of the church. And so we'll be in glory. We'll be in heaven. Of course, we know all hell will be breaking loose on the earth. We've been studying that week after week after week. But here we have this great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to our God. And I believe I'm in that group because I have Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I'm in heaven with Him. And if you know Him, I believe you're in that group too. You're reading about yourself here. And there's rejoicing that evil Babylon is forever fallen. We studied about that in chapter 17 and 18. And we find them... Praising the Lord about that in verses two and three. But I don't want you to miss the words, some key words in verse one, right after the hallelujah. Now, we often say hallelujah, right? Same, same thing here. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise Yahweh. But the idea here is we find some very specific things mentioned. The Lord is worthy of praise. Notice what comes after the hallelujah there in verse one. First of all, it mentions salvation. We should praise him because of salvation. He's redeemed us. He's purchased us with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's forgiven us of our sin and he's made us heirs and joint heirs with Christ. He's worthy to be praised because he is our savior. Salvation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Salvation. And then it says what? It says glory. He's worthy to be praised because of his glory. He is majestic. He is glorious. He is God. 
And then it says what? Honor. He's worthy of all honor and all praise. And then it says what? It says power. Power belong to the Lord our God. That is, His strength is unequaled. His strength is unmatched. In fact, in verse 6, they cry out, Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent. Omnipotent means all-powerful. He reigns. Now, He's worthy of our praise at all times because of who He is. And also because of His excellent acts, both past, present, and future. But look again at verse 2. At the beginning of verse 2, it says, for true. That is, he is true. He's trustworthy. He's truthful. He's always reliable. True, and it says in what in verse 2? For true and righteous are his judgments. He's right in what he does. He's right in all that he does. We talked about that even in the judging of uh, Babylon itself. And then added to the great multitude, which I believe were in that multitude, And we're praising him. We find that those around the throne of God, those we've read about before in verse four, the four and twenty elders and the four living creatures, they fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen. We agree. So be Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And then a command issues from the throne. Now, who is that? I'm not sure who's issuing the command. Is it God himself? Is it the direction of the throne? It's John and Sharon. But but nonetheless, the command is given, perhaps from God himself in verse five. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God. That's why I'm wondering if it's uh, just from the direction because it's praise our God. Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. All of his servants should praise him. All of his servants will praise him and they'll do it joyfully. Now, listen, in heaven, I don't believe we're going to have like we have it now. You know, you go in some service like, all right, let's all stand and sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's what we do now. But not here. And it shouldn't be that way now, by the way. That's one of the reasons I, I hesitate to have the same thing, you know, is the doxology. Maybe we should be dropped the doxology for a while because we just we just sing. We don't think about praise God from all blessings flow. Every blessing we have flows from him. But look at what it says in verse six. A great crescendo of praise is reached in verse six. And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Imagine that being reverberating throughout heaven. Multitude, mighty multitude, thousands, millions of people crying out, Hallelujah! 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 Imagine that. A great crescendo of praise. You see, really, the more we understand about our God, the more we should praise him. And our praise should continue to build as we consider the greatness of our God. As we realize just how great he is, how wonderful he is. How can we help but to praise him? But I think old Vance Havner's right most of the time when he once said in his his own way of saying things, too many church services start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. Beloved, this ought not to be. We ought to leave every Sunday more excited about God than when we got here. More full of praise than when we got here. Can I share something with you? 
My main goal each week as I preach, as I prepare to preach, as I prepare to stand before you, my main goal every week is to really help you to see and help me to see just how great our God really is. That's my main goal. To see how great our God is. That is to glorify Him and lift Him up and magnify Him. That's my main goal when I come to preach. That's my main goal. So what about people getting saved? I believe they'll see how great our God is. They'll want to get saved. And I'll share the gospel with them. Yes, I share the gospel. Yes, But my main goal every week is to lift up the Lord. By the way, that's why we're here. That's why we come to church. That's our main goal. Is to glorify God and lift Him up and praise Him. And I'm amazed I read Revelation. In the midst of all these things we're not really sure about. We really, I'm not sure what that means or how, I can't understand it. I can understand this. That there's praise and worship and honor and glory. And it's all throughout for our glorious God. He's worthy of our praise and worship. But if you look back again, you find something else that we're a part of. I believe we're in that multitude praising him. We also find here the marriage of the lamb and the marriage supper of the lamb. Look at verses seven through nine. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. Now watch this. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright For the fine linen is the righteousness, a righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Now listen, when it comes to marriages today, when it comes to a marriage ceremony, who is the center of attention? The bride. The bride. This Saturday, Kyle and and Mariah are going to have their wedding ceremony here. They're going to get married here and all eyes are going to be on Mariah. Now, the groom is necessary, but not most important. (laughs) He's not the main focus. And so what song is played at that moment when everybody's ready and the doors are closed and the piano strikes the chord. Here comes the bride. And the door is open, hopefully, and the bride comes in. But that's not the focus here. <laughs> you see, in the marriage before us, it's here comes the bridegroom. The Lord Jesus Christ is the main focus. He's the main focus. The Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the marriage of the Lamb and the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lamb, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And who is the bride of the Lamb? The church. We're part of that. And it says you will be wearing our fine linen, which are the righteous acts of the saints. Not things we've, be, we've done to become righteous. That's impossible. All of our righteous are as filthy rags. We've received Christ's righteousness when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these righteous acts are things we do because we are saved. And it says there, it's pictured there as fine white linen. We're given because they're the acts of there are righteous acts that we've done. Now, John is overwhelmed by all of this, this idea of, of the marriage of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and probably all this worship and praise. In fact, in verse 10, it says, I fell at his feet, this angel, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. 
I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. God alone is worthy. Now, listen, you've got to give John a break here. So how can the world could he fall down and worship? Imagine now you're being and he's still in hum, humanity. He's still in flesh. He's being transported to see all this. Uh, he's seeing all these visions, these revelations. He's just overwhelmed at all this. But he's corrected here. Worship only God. For the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. This is all about Jesus. He's worthy. We've got we to gotta hurry. We praise him as our glorious, all-powerful Savior and Lord. But also we need to praise him uh, as our sin-coming King of kings and Lord of lords. Our King of kings and Lord of lords. Now again, I didn't just pick that phrase at random. I want you to see it here in the passage. And we've been waiting for this. We've been waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And by the way, Christian, watch very carefully as we read and you'll see yourself in, the, in this passage, too. You'll, you'll find yourself here. That's pretty exciting. In fact, this is such a wonderful passage. I want us to read it together out loud. I've got it up on the screen so we're all on the same version, all on the same page. As we read it together out loud. Now, you're thinking as you're reading, let's read it together. Now, I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword and with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming and he's coming to put down unrighteousness and to establish his righteousness. He is our soon coming king of kings and Lord of lords. And we should praise him because of that. And there's plenty to praise him about as you look at that coming. So we praise him. As our glorious, all-powerful Savior and Lord, we praise Him as our soon-coming King of kings and Lord of lords. And we'll see more how that plays out as we continue studying. We also praise Him this morning as our conquering, victorious warrior. Our conquering, victorious warrior. We come to the Battle of Armageddon. The Battle of Armageddon. You hear a lot of talk about Armageddon and about what's going to be coming and so forth. And we know that the Antichrist and his false prophet and their evil cohorts, the kings, are going to make one last stand against the Lord Jesus Christ. But, beloved, to be quite honest, it's not much of a battle. It's not much of a fight, really. Jesus is going to slay them with his words. He's going to wipe them out with his mouth. In fact, before we read it, we've already seen one supper mentioned. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a glorious occasion that's going to be. It's going to be a glorious celebration. But we're about to read about another supper. And this one's called the Supper of the Great God. And beloved, this one is anything but glorious. It's not the kind of supper you want to be invited to. 
It's not the type of supper you want to be involved in. In fact, look at the scripture. Look at verse 17. We'll read about it. Verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven. Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. So the invitation goes out to all the birds. Verse 18. What will be on the menu? That you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Verse 19. And I saw the beast, that is the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. That is the Lord Jesus Christ and the army of heaven. Verse 20. Then the beast, that is the Antichrist, was captured. And with him the false prophet. Remember, he had the Antichrist and his false prophet, two members of the unholy trinity. They're captured who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, 666, those who worshipped his image. Remember, they put the image of the Antichrist, the image of the beast up, he had to worship or die. Now, notice what happens to them. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning of brimstone. And the rest, the kings, their armies, those other rebels, the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded where? From the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. With the power of his word. He wipes out his enemies. Do you notice that the armies of heaven, and if, if we're on the, there with him coming in, we don't lift a finger. <laughs> with the power, the sword of his mouth, the word of God, with his very speech. Now remember, this is the same God that spoke the world into existence. <laughs> this is nothing for him. He wipes out his enemies. And the beast and the, uh, that is the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast alive into the lake of fire. By the way, when we get to chapter 20 next time, chapter 20, verse 10, here's what it says. The devil who deceived them, that's that old dragon, the serpent, Satan. The devil who deceived them were cast to the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They've been there for a thousand years at that point. You've got the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. So a thousand years later, they're still there. And in fact, it says in verse 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 10 at the end, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so the unholy trinity, Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet will be cast to the lake of fire forever. And so we praise the Lord today as our conquering, victorious warrior who at the very speech, the very words of his mouth wipes out his enemies. So I ask you again today, where are you in your praise? Where are you today? Well, preacher, you just don't understand. I've had a rough week. I don't feel well. My kids are driving me crazy. The nominating committee called me this past week. You just don't understand. Beloved, wake up. Look up. Look at your God. He's our glorious all-powerful Savior, Lord, victorious warrior, and soon coming King of kings and Lord of lords. Look up! Look to Him! Your redemption draweth nigh. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. 
And he's worthy of our praise. We need to praise the Lord more. We need to exalt him more. We need to magnify him more. Lewis Albert Banks tells of an elderly Christian man who was a fine singer. Just a wonderful singer. But he learned that he had cancer of the tongue and that surgery was required. And in the hospital, after everything was ready for the operation, the man said to the doctor, are you sure I will never sing again? I want you to put yourself in that man's shoes and also put yourself in that surgeon's shoes. That's a difficult question. And the surgeon found it very difficult to answer. So he simply shook his head. No, no, you're never going to sing again. The patient asked if he could sit up for a moment. And he did. Here's what he said. He said, I've had many good times singing the praises of God. And now you tell me I can never sing again. He says, I have one song that will be my last. It will be of gratitude and praise to God. And there in the doctor's presence, the man sang softly the words of Isaac Watts. hymn. I don't know this hymn, but I love the words of it. Here's where that man with the cancer of the tongue, never going to sing again, never going to be able to sing again. Here's his last song he sang softly. I'll praise my maker while I breath. And when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler power. My days of praise shall ne'er be passed while life and thought and being last or immortality endures. With his very last song, his very last ability to speak, he praises and thanks the Lord. Beloved, in heaven, we're going to be praising the Lord. But let's not wait until heaven to begin. Let's get practiced up before we get there. Let's get ready. And let's take Spurgeon's advice. It's good counsel. Good advice. Let's wash our face every morning. Every morning. Wash it. In a bath of praise. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You alone are worthy of all praise and honor and glory and power and adoration. You are indeed the God from whom all blessings flow. Forgive us, O God, when we have so half-heartedly and so humdrumly Lifted our voices and what we called praise, but there was no heart, no meaning, no realness to it. Forgive us, O God. And Lord, fill our minds, our hearts, our mouths, our homes, our lives, our church with praise for you alone are worthy. Father, we are overwhelmed as John was when we consider how gloriously awesome you are. And Lord, though there's been so much we don't understand or we partially understand, we understand this, that you are victorious, you are glorious and you are worthy and that you are in power and in charge. You will complete everything according to your will. Everything will happen as you decree. And so, Lord, I praise you. I praise you that Jesus is coming again. And I praise you 
that because of Jesus and his shed blood and his empty grave, that those of us who've repented of our sin and trusted Jesus, we're going to go up to be with you. And so shall we ever be with you. Father, our lives are burdened down at times with many cares and concerns and stresses and issues and problems and toils and tribulations. But Lord, would you help us in faith to to, to not look at all that, but to look up, to look up, to, to look to you and realize that our redemption draws nigh. Father, I have sought to exalt you today. If anybody here does not know Jesus Christ, I pray your Holy Spirit to convict their heart and bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us each as believers, those who have the assurance of eternal life, to look at our life right now and consider where are we when it comes to praise? Are our mouths and our hearts and our lives filled with praise? May it be so more this week, the rest of this year, and the rest of our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as a church to be a praising, worshiping church for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, we're going to have a closing song, 227. I thought it was an appropriate one. Praise him, praise him. And I sure hope you'll sing it like you mean it. I mean, if we can't at least sing a praise song, then after all of that, after what we've seen in his word, God help us. But as we sing, the altar is open today. If you don't know Jesus, I'd invite you to come. We'd love to share Christ with you. If you do, maybe you just want to come today and praise him afresh. Maybe you want to get down the altar and just lift your heart and lift your voice and just, and just praise him. As we sing this closing song, 227, let's stand up and sing out. Praise him, praise him. Let's stand and sing. Thank you.